Welcome, you're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they have been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Hermeneutic Sunday. All right, welcome to Bible Marathon. My name is Ernest, and it's a privilege to have you guys here. Um, we're going to get started now, but we're going to start with a time of prayer. So if everyone can join me as I pray to begin. All right. Heavenly Father, we love you. We appreciate you. We thank you because you have this moment in mind, an opportunity where your word will be taught clearly, where the saints will be equipped, will be strengthened with insight, spiritual understanding. Lord, we're ready to receive. We put aside every gymnastic or every fear or every um, wrong idea that we have. We put them to the side and we want your will and your word to rule today. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, Zoe, thank you for having your camera up. Most people here don't like having their cameras on. So I'm always looking at myself and it's very, very, um, it's not very nice to be seeing myself all the time alone. All right. But yeah, we're going to, let me open my Bible here. Easy worship. So I want to hear from just two people before we go ahead. Like, um, what do you think is the most important aspect of the Christian faith. When you think about Christianity, if someone were to be like, tell me the most important thing you know about Christianity, that, that if, if this is taken out of Christianity, you know, a lot of things will not be the same anymore. I'd like to hear from you guys. What is that one thing? And obviously you're thinking of many things. Uh, can someone check if Mixlr is working? I know a lot of people will be joining on Mixlr, and a lot of people are still texting me like they don't know that I am teaching. <laughs> Hello, how are we doing? Anyone? Can anyone verify for on, on uh, Mixlr? And it's good to have you here, Ayo. The two Ayos. All right. So I really want feedback. Who can answer that question? One thing that if it were taken out of Christianity, um, it would it would fall down completely. You know you can unmute yourself. It's a conversation. Can I go? Yes, yes. All right, so I think um the word of God. Okay. And like the truth of the word of God. Right. You just said one, right? Yes, so that's one. Okay. okay, so the truth of the word of God. So if I take away truth from God's word, or if I take the word of God away, Christianity basically falls. I think I think let me let me now throw some you know lights here and there on what you just said. Um and it's I think it's kind of what we're discussing today. Uh oh yeah, so Samuel. 
it says you're live, but they can't hear anything. Maybe you're not sharing, you're not sharing um, Zoom, your speaker, speaker sound. So you have to see those bars going up and down. That's how you know the sound is going out. All right, sorry. We're doing some technical stuff. Wow, this is good. Okay, so what, what Zoe said is so true. I want to go ahead and, you know, challenge you. So the two of us were on the, on the floor right now, and it's a quick question. So if, if we take away the word of God, and I'm, I'm so, so let me just be sure. Do you mean the Bible? Okay, so the word of God being the Bible. So which one came first, the Bible or Christianity? The Bible. Okay, so that's, that's, that's one of the things we're going to learn in our session today, and that's why I'm happy that we're all here. Um, so um, basically the answer would be that Christianity came before the Bible. The Bible was compiled by people who observed the risen Christ, right? So and Zoe already knows this. I'm just really um, reemphasizing the fact that when it comes to the Christian faith, there are many things that could make it rise or fall, right? And one of the most important things that she said is the word of God. But you have to go even deeper, just, just the word of God. What in the word of God will make Christianity fall apart? You know, if you've been in some of our teachings, something is ringing in your mind right now. A very long word that ends with T-I-O-N. One major thing that happened in history that if that didn't happen, all of Christianity is a fluke. Who can tell me? Someone should shout it out. So it ends with T-I-O-N. Don't be quiet today, please. Salvation. Hmm. What part of salvation? What event? Reconciliation. You're almost there. It sounds, it sounds very similar. It starts with R2. <laughs> I'm trying Redemption. to help you get. Ah. Redemption. No, no, no. Someone knows this thing. Can you come again, please? Thank you. I already have the answer here. The question, I'll repeat the question. I said, what event in history that if it didn't happen, all of Christianity is a fluke? Resurrection. Yes, I've said this thing so many times, and I really want to hammer it until it enters your soul. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, our vein is futile. Uh, Sorry, our faith is vain, and our faith is futile. Why is that important? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, everything he said, his whole word, everything he spoke about is is basically a lie, right? He said he would die and he would be raised from from the dead. If he died and rose from the dead, as he, as he said, then it means everything he has said before then is true. Does that make sense? Because no one before Christ had died and risen from the dead, never to die again. Jesus was the first in that situation, in that scenario, right? So why did I start from there? I wanted you to realize that uh, Christianity is not based on blind faith. I know a lot of people came to Christ you know, they heard a message. Uh, so I was asking a question, is that the cornerstone of Christianity? So let me, I like to put scriptures up. Um, so we'll do that now um, real quick. By the way, if you're just new to this platform, this is very, very much not, um, very, um, not a church setting. We are believers. So we, when we gather together, we still represent the church of Christ. 
But this is a platform where we can interact, all right? It's not, don't picture it as second service of church. Picture it as a time when believers come together to learn, to be edified, to grow, you know, and to firm up our convictions, all right? So if you are joining us for the first time, this should be a relaxed setting where you're learning God's word and you're participating. We have a lot to talk about today. I'm so excited. Um, but I just really wanted to put that caveat so that you don't um, feel like you have to be very formal. It's okay to be wrong on this platform. That's what it's for. I'm going to throw questions that you probably don't hear often um, and thoughts that, you know, should be challenged. So please feel free, be that person that wants to learn. You're open, no restrictions in your heart. All right. I want to answer Ayo's question from scripture. So um, second, first Corinthians chapter 15, we, we read it last a few months back, right? When we're in first Corinthians um, and um, Paul was preaching the message of the gospel and he started from verse one. So let me quickly show you that. So please, I pay attention because it's your question I'm answering. She's asking if that's the cornerstone of Christianity, the cornerstone of Christianity. What makes Christianity stand? What makes it true? Why is it the only faith that is true? Why are other people basically wrong? Because that's fundamental. Christianity says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way or not one of the ways. Jesus is the only way to the Father. It's only in his name that we can be saved. You know, Acts chapter 4. So let's look at this uh, this scripture. So from verse 1 of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you've taken in. What was the gospel? He said, this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Look at verse 3. Now, let's pay attention to the gospel. And this is what someone said in the chat. Let me scroll up and see. Um, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Who said it again? Yeah, Victoria. Accurate. The gospel rises and falls on this. He said, what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. If you can underline according to the scriptures, underline it. That is the major point of this uh, time together today. But if you can underline it, if you have a device, you're reading from scratch, it's anything you can do to remember this according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Then he says that he appeared to Peter. So, sorry, what you realize, okay, what you realize immediately is that the gospel is what he just described. The gospel preached to you. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and he rose up. So why is the resurrection very... So sorry, guys. Why is the resurrection so important here? He tells us. He says, by the way, let me just keep reading because it's a beautiful read. Um, verse 5. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. I'm blessed. Sorry, guys. It will stop very soon. 
um, 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, even though some have fallen asleep. What was he saying? At the time of his writing of this epistle, there were people that were alive there and then who had seen the risen Christ. Jesus appeared to more than 12 disciples. Did you know that? 500 of the brothers that if at that time Paul had directed you to the right place, you'd have met someone who said, oh yeah, I was one of the people Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead physically. But look at the the main point here. I'm going all the way to verse 12. So pay attention. This is why, this is how we build and derive doctrine. We go to scripture, we see what the scripture says, then we hold what it says as true. Verse 12 says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. He just described the gospel as being the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But now if you don't believe in resurrection, then that means Christ himself did not die, um, did not rise up after he died. What does that imply? Next verse. If Christ has not been raised, he says, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Guess what? The most important aspect of Christianity is our faith in Christ. Do you know that? The whole, the whole message of Christianity is God has done something for us about your sin. Place your faith in Jesus, right? So if that is taken out, if the content of the gospel is removed, that means Jesus didn't rise from the dead, resurrection is not possible, then your faith is useless. Who gets it now? So it means that this is the foundation, all right, almost strongly the most important foundation of the Christian faith. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he didn't really, you know, pay the price for our sins because it was his resurrection that brought about the newness of life that we have. All right. So that's my five to 10 minute answer of that question. There's a lot more I could have said, but I hope that helps. So it is really important. You know, Paul said, if Look at this. If Christ has not been raised, your, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And Christianity is basically the message that you are no longer in your sins. You're no longer condemned. You're no longer um, going to perish, but you will live forever with Christ. So that's, that's very important. All right. So let's jump into what we have today. Today, the teaching is, as you already saw, is that what it means? We're learning how to understand scriptural contexts. What does this mean? What does this title mean? I don't want to lose you from the very beginning. We want to understand what the Bible actually is saying. You know, we live in a time where truth is becoming very, very subjective. A lot of people would say things like, it's my truth, it's your truth, right? How many of you have heard something like that? You know, just my own truth. I don't, this is how I feel. This is who I am. You know, and they, they look away from reality, science, facts, and they just, you know, create their own reality. And they say, this is, this is my life. This is what it is. But truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. In fact, the inherent idea of the word truth means there is falsehood, right? So it's a choice between two things. And if you go with truth, you need to realize that truth is objective it is not 
formed, it is derived. It is not created, it is discovered, all right? Very important. For example, someone may have come in and said, uh, who, who, for example, who discovered gravity? Science nerds here, who discovered gravity? Ah, you people have forgotten school. You have forgotten science. Now, wow. Newton, thank you. Isaac Newton, remember the story? Nobody even knows if it's true. I did some research. They were like, he was lying, he was sitting down under a tree and an apple fell down and hit his head. And voila, I was like, hmm, why do things always fall down? <laughs> I feel like so many other people have discovered this before Newton was born, right? If you throw a ball up, it must come down. So the question was, why do those things go back? Now, would we say Isaac Newton invented gravity or he discovered gravity? You can, it would be logical to say he created gravity. He met it. Same thing goes with the word of God. And we're going to see something very interesting, even from the mouth of Jesus himself. You know, a lot of people are quick to um, connect to their feelings, to their experiences, but Jesus himself, who is God in the flesh, does something so profound that it will blow your mind. And that's how I want to introduce our teaching for today. It will blow your mind. I'm about to take you to a story of Jesus, helping us see what really is important when it comes to how to interpret truth. All right. So let's go to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to have a few of us read. So if you are able to read Give me a sign so I don't call you if you can't read. I know some of you are not um, able to read at the moment. But let's go to Luke chapter 24. All right. And we're going to read the story um, here. I'm going to read from Luke 24, 13. Who wants to start? I basically want to give us a commentary of this. By the way, hi. Oh, awesome. I, uh, go ahead. Unmute yourself. Um, before you start, let me say hi to a few people that just joined. Hi, Augusta. Hi, Busayo. And hi, the other Victoria. Hi, good to see you. How are we doing on Mixer? I think we're still good, yeah? All right. Um, yeah, Ayo, go ahead. Luke so we're reading, 13. Yeah, we're reading from verse 13. We're going all the way to verse 24. So okay. I might stop you at some point, but I just want you to have a flow, all right? So let's right. go. We'll read from verse 13 to verse 17 first. Okay. I'm reading from NIV. Go so ahead. it yeah. says, yeah. now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Okay, can you pause for a bit? So let's 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 look at the story here. Backstory, Jesus had died. You know, they cried, all the disciples ran away. You know the whole story. Now, Jesus is raised from the dead. And then 
the women are the first people to see him. They go out and they tell the story to the other disciples. While this is going on, there is another story going on at the same time. So that same day, two of them, two people were walking, right, on to a village called Emmaus. There are many ways of pronouncing this thing, honestly. Emmaus, or I think Emmaus is the way. Now, seven miles is a while, all right? But look at something. I want you to pay attention to the details here. What were they talking about? Jesus had just, you know, died. They've heard the stories. This man was a prophet. He did so many miracles. They were hoping this was the Messiah. You know, basically, just a little Jewish history. They wanted this guy to be him. You know how America wanted Obama to be the deliverer of all the world? <laughs> like, oh, finally, a black man is president. Yes, he would change the face of the world. And people had so much hope in him. You know, they almost had that same political ambition for this person, Jesus Christ. They wanted him to be the Messiah that would deliver them from the tyranny of the Romans and just like give them freedom, the freedom that had been promised by the law and the prophets, right? So they're walking because guess what? The story didn't end well. So they seemed or so they thought Jesus died. How would the Messiah who they were hoping to deliver them, how would he die? That doesn't make logical sense, right? That's because they didn't understand. But let's follow the story. They talk, they discuss, and then something interesting happens. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, came to them, walked along with them. But there's a, there's a very, very important verse here. But they were kept from recognizing him. That's profound. So he was there, but somehow there was something spiritual where Jesus just supernaturally made sure that they would not recognize him physically. Some of you right now should be thinking, why would Jesus do that? We're about to find out. But it's really interesting. Think about it. Why would Jesus shield them from knowing who he is? Like, I mean, he had just been appearing to other people, right? And he was still going to appear to more people. All right, so let's go on. Um they were looking sad. So uh, we're going to read now from verse 18. And we're going to read all the way to verse 23. It's a whole lot, but let's go on. Thank you. You're doing a great job, Aya. To 23? Yeah, 18 to 23. Okay. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened this there in these days? What things they are, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, <clears throat> it was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hope, we had hoped that it was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Okay, thanks. Yeah. So, so you get the gist. <laughs> it was like, are you a visitor? Because Jesus asked them, like, what's up? Why are you guys sad? Why are you people so discouraged? And, and they didn't know it was Jesus. And they were like, ah. So basically, my thoughts, you know, based on, like, just my study of 
you know, the Old Testament and a whole lot of Jewish writings and traditions. I would, I would guess that Cleo, the, the, the other disciple that was unnamed was probably uh, Cleopas's wife. Just, it's not, please, this is not, don't take it as biblical theology. This is anestology, just based on what I think. All right. Um, but it's not really important. One of them named Cleopas asked him, like, are you a visitor to Jerusalem? You don't know the things happen, happen, that have been happening in this, you know, this place. And then the, Jesus is now saying something that Jesus should not normally say, right? He knows all things. He's, he's the Messiah. But he says, what things? Like, as if he doesn't know. Is he acting a movie? But you need to realize that everything Jesus does is very intentional. From, from his baptism in water, someone who had no sin, being baptized, very significant. From his healing the people that were oppressed of the devil. In fact, in situations, not healing certain people and waiting for them to die for four days till he comes. Jesus was very deliberate. So when you see him do something like this, even though you know he knows, it's very, pay attention. There's something that he's trying to communicate. All right. And then he tell, they tell him the story about Jesus. You know, he was a powerful man. Notice what they knew him as, a prophet, powerful in word and in deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over. He died. He was crucified. But we hoped that he was the one that would redeem Israel. We hoped he was the one that would set us free from the tyranny. And even more, it's the third day. That means they even had some hope. That, you know, okay, first day Jesus died. Second day is the third day now. We've not had any gist because we were thinking even when he rises from the dead, it would be like the heavens will open. You know, think about it. If you if you were God, how would you have shown your enemies that, yes, <laughs> I've risen from the dead? Apart from the earthquake that happened when he was being killed, when Jesus was dying. And there was, I mean, when he was um, resurrecting too, there was also an earthquake if you read the scriptures. You know, but think about it. He could have done even more. Boom. You guys crucified me. Now you pay. <laughs> Thank God we are not good. But basically, look at this. This is interesting. He says, they said it's the third day since all these things have taken place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb. Listen. And they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. You sense the skepticism in their, in their speech, in Cleopas' speech. It's like, we thought this guy was the guy that would rescue us from, from the, 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 the Romans and just give us our freedom. But even women, and this is spiteful, you know, some of our women amazed us. Basically, if you look at history, especially at that time, the testimony of a, of a woman was not taken strongly, especially you, you couldn't hold up in court. This was one of some of the things that were happening in those days. So, in fact, you could tell that they were even doubtful that why would this woman be spreading this kind of message? They even said angels, that they had seen angels that said he was alive. So they were really doubtful. All right, but let's see something. This is the key part that I want us to build on. Um Let's skip verse 24. I mean, it's just the same thing. We're going to read from verse 25 to verse 27. All right. So, Ayo, you're doing an amazing job. Go ahead and read this for us. To 27? Yeah, 25 to 27. 25, okay. 
He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Just pause, pause, pause. Wow. Jesus said, how foolish. <laughs> what could these people have done to make them foolish? Why would Jesus use this word that, you know, if we were to use it today, we'd be in trouble? Why would he call them foolish? And then he doesn't stop there. He says, slow of heart to believe. All right, go ahead. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is marvelous. And this, this is one scripture that I think you guys have to meditate on, study on your own, and just see what Jesus is trying to do here. He says, did not the Christ... At this point, remember, they don't know he's the one. So he's still talking in third person. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? Like, didn't you guys know that this was the plan? And how are they, how are they supposed to know? We're going to find out. He said, didn't you know he was going to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So you guys are foolish. You are slow of heart to believe what? All that the prophets have spoken. In other words, Jesus was diverting their attention or taking their attention from where it was to. Can you guys still see me? I think my camera. Hello? Okay. Yeah, something's up. <laughs> Anyhow, do he, he was diverting their attention, taking their attention away from the happenings around. To the scriptures, to the prophets. Do you know when he says prophets, don't get, don't be mistaken. Prophets, I, I've done this already in previous teachings. If you want to go back, listen to some of our teachings. We've done, it is written. We've done, um, well, we've done a lot of teachings in Hermeneutics Sunday about what the law represents, the prophets and all of that. But I'll do it again. I'll recap just because we have a lot of new, new people here. Um, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then he says this. He says, and beginning with Moses. What is Moses? Who knows what is Moses? What does he mean by Moses? The law. Beautiful. The law, right? What books are represented when we say Moses? When we say like the name Moses, what books are we referring to? If you did CRK, you should know this one. <laughs> Torah. The Torah, the Tanakh, right? The first part of the Tanakh. Torah um, is the first five books of the Bible, the, what, often called pen, Pentateuch. Okay, I'm going to switch. This, this camera is really messing up. Sorry, guys. Uh, I'm going to switch my video to normal HD camera. Yeah, this might just... Do you guys still see me? All right. Yeah, we can use this. So he was basically referring to the five, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those were, they were representative of the message of Moses, which was also called the law, right? I told you before that when you read the scriptures, 
when you see the word law, it can mean a lot of things. The law of the Lord, it could be the, the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus means something different. The law could be the tablets of stones, the Ten Commandments. It could also mean the written code of the law, which was the other 619 laws. So context is very important. All right. But notice he said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So basically, Jesus was going to teach them from Genesis all the way to Malachi. What do we call that today? Old Testament. Old Testament. Perfect. Now, we call it the Old Testament, but it was... It was not really the Old Testament to them because, I mean, it was still current at the time they had it. So you need to realize that whenever you see the word scriptures in the Bible, it's not always talking about the physical Holy Bible that we have today. For example, what do you think Paul was teaching the the early Christians with? There was no Bible. What was he teaching from? He was teaching from Genesis to... He was teaching from Genesis to Malachi, right? So when he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The the word there, explained, it it comes from a Greek word, which actually means to derive meaning from. All right? And I don't want to, you know, I, I try once in a while to avoid the whole Greek, like, you know, let's look at the Greek word, but it's really important. By the way, this is just a segue, and I think it's important that you understand. If you're in a church where they, you know, constantly say the Greek word, the Greek word, and you're wondering, like, uh, why do they always say the Greek word, the Greek word? What's the point? Like, just teach us in English. In fact, I heard someone give an example. It was like, they should stop saying this Greek word, Greek word. Like, let's just, you know, listen in the language of the Holy Spirit. Like, like the Let's let's get the understanding in the language that the Holy Spirit used to give us the Bible. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. Okay, so how did we get the Bible today? How did you get this physical Bible that you have? The first graphe or writing was in the language of the writers. Do you realize that? This Bible didn't appear magically. Last month, we did a book review, right? Seven things that we need to know about the Bible. And the first point was the Bible did not fall from the sky, right? The Bible did not fall out of the sky. It's not like this very supernatural book that just combined all together with all the publisher, the printer, everything. Now, this is a holy book. No, it's a compilation of books, all right? But these were books that were written as letters, parchments, poems, different writings over the span of many centuries, all right, that somehow harmonized with one message. That's what makes it supernatural, all right? And it's so important that you get that. But how were they written? What was it written in? In the language of the inspired writers, which was Hebrew and Greek, all right? So if you're reading the Bible and you hear people quote Greek word, Greek word, or we try to find out what the root word means, we're doing the right thing because... I'm sorry, Ernest, please, what did you say the Greek word is again? Explain. You can, you can, do you have a concordance? I think it's diamene. Yeah. 
Right. But the Greek word is diameno, but it means to derive from. And I'm going to, I hope I'll have some time to explain how I got to know that and how you can also check it yourself. So, Zoe, I think you remind me like towards the end. So I can show you how to use tools when you do, when you do your Bible study. Right. But thanks for bringing that up. Do you have something to, do you have a question? Um, no. Oh, sorry. No, I was just like, I wanted to hear what you said because I was okay. seeing that. I think you, you said the, like, um, the Greek word, word is diameno and then like he translates, it means like to really explain, to translate or to interpret. That was what you said. So exactly. I just wanted to. Right. All right. So basically, you need to realize that what Jesus was doing was he went to this, into the scriptures. And explained about, about sorry, he explained about himself from Moses and the prophets. That's profound. So Jesus had every opportunity there to just say, "You guys are stupid. Look at me now. Touch my hand. Feel me, right?" He could have done what he did with Thomas, who doubted, but he does something different with them. He says, "Hey, hold up. You guys are slow of heart to believe what the prophets have said." In other words. Don't believe in the living word without first believing in the written word. Don't let your experience be the determinant of truth. Let the written word be your determinant of truth. Who is getting what I'm saying? If Jesus Christ himself, who was the word made flesh, did not just say, hey, it is me. He still went to, to the scriptures to explain about himself. That's profound. It means that you too, you cannot say, oh, I don't want to read the Bible or I don't want to give you the time required because Jesus himself did a Bible study. How many of you have even thought about that? Jesus did a Bible study with these two guys or guy and lady, as the case may be. All right, look at this. They approached the village and then Jesus now, after he had already been teaching them, he acted as if he was going somewhere else. Jesus is very interesting. But they begged him. They said, ah, please stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. I want to take care of Basically, um, it was a culture, cultural thing to, to take care of a visitor, right? Someone who comes to visit or someone who is a rabbi or teaches you. Um, it's something they had as a culture to do. And so he says, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he had was at the table with them, he, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and he gave it to them. Then what happened in verse 31? Look at that. It says, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. That's profound. It means... Jesus started with teaching from the scriptures. Then it led to an experience, who is getting the flow, of breaking bread. And then their eyes are open. And then he vanishes. Because now they know who it is. And it's like mission completed. But how did they get to know? First from the scriptures. Look at what they said. When, when Jesus disappeared in verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So the, the synonym of explained, which I said earlier, the amenor, 
is opened here. He opened the scriptures to us. He explained it to us. He broke it down. He said, hey, in Genesis, where, you know, it was written about this, that's speaking about me. In Exodus, it was me. In Leviticus, it was me. So he went through it, the whole Bible and was pointing to himself. That should tell you something profound, that God is more important about what you believe from his word. And that's why we say something like this. In um, It's a statement in Latin, which is sola scriptura. Who has heard that before? Okay. It's basically... Um, one of the five solas, which are, I don't, I didn't want to go into this, but I'll say it for the, for the sake of that. And you can write it down and go look at it. It's the five solas of the reformation. All right. It's, um, we have sola fide. That, that means by faith alone. Sola gratia. By grace alone. All right. Sola scriptura from the scriptures alone. Um, there's one more before the last one. Treasure is going to help me here. It's not Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> that one is I Have a Dream. It's another Martin Luther. But it's not the one that, that came up with this, by the way. But yeah, I mentioned Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, Sola, um, there's Soli Dio Gloria, which is the final one, which is to the glory of God alone. There is, um, by faith alone, through grace, um, by grace alone, through faith alone, from the scripture alone. Where is treasure when I need him? Um, Sola Christus. Sola Christus in Christ alone. Thank you. How did I forget that one? Sola Christus and then Solidio Gloria, which is to the glory of God alone. In fact, your Christianity is founded on those five solas when you think about it. You are saved by, by grace through faith in Christ. All right. And then the scripture is what guides you to that truth. And everything you do is to the glory of God alone. That's so important. All right. So I hope you get what I've tried to explain to you from this point. Luke 24 was Jesus trying to show these guys, hey, you, you know, a lot of people want to say, I had an experience. They always want to start with their experience. You know, they feel like they are more spiritual than another person because they saw an angel or because they had this supernatural encounter. But no, God is trying to point them back to the scriptures because the scriptures spoke about him. In fact, he was telling the Pharisees in John, let me show you that text. John chapter 5 from verse 39. He said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. And then Jesus says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. In other words, these things you are studying so hard about, they're really about me. If you think you want to get eternal life from just reading the scriptures, you won't get eternal life from reading the scriptures if you don't understand first that those things are written about me. Are we following? Are we getting the gist? The scriptures are very important. That's why, you know, people died <laughs> to preserve the scriptures that we now have. I don't know if you were here when we talked about the believer and suffering. We watched that video, right, of that lady. She made a statement in, in the skit she made where she was like, you know, it was a skit between a first century Christian versus a 21st century Christian. And the 21st century Christian was like, oh, yeah, the Bible. Yeah, we have that book. It's really cool. You can learn a, lot, a bunch of cool stuff. And the first century Christian was like, wow, you have a compilation of books 
We never had that. Like we all just had the scriptures scattered around. We never had the Bible put together for us. You know, if we had something like that, we'll study it day and night. But then we that have it, we don't even read it. And then what is worse is that those of us who read it now read it wrongly. And that's really the next thing we want to discuss now. By the way, if you're joining us or you just joined us recently, we're talking about is that what it means? Understanding scriptural context. I think the most important thing you have to grasp is that all of scripture speaks of Christ. Now, by saying that, someone might think, oh, every verse speaks about Jesus. No, please, let's be careful. We only mean that the purpose of the scriptures is to reveal Christ. You have stories, you have numbers, you have genealogies, but they all point to Christ in some way. The entire story of the Bible is about Jesus. That's the first principle of Bible interpretation that we all have to agree on. At this point, are there any questions? Because I'm about to go into the second part and then we'll do some exercises together because I really want us to grab this thing. A lot of people are struggling in their Bible study life. First of all, because maybe they're just lazy. And I get that. A lot of us can get lazy at different times, but you should get yourself up. All right. Don't get too comfortable there. You should be reading your Bible every day at least. Um, but there's another issue that many Christians have, and that's the issue of no guidance. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with this book. You know, I've, I've, I've been joking with this story recently. I've said it a number of times, but it's a theological joke, you know. Some people take the Bible as this Harry Potter book, um, book of spells. You know, I just need to write, get the right chapter and verse. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's this funny joke where someone takes the Bible and they're like, oh, Lord, I want you to speak to me right now. Hey, Malabush, speak to me, Lord. And they just go any verse and then they open a verse and it's like, whatever I say, I'll do. And they just go and they see. Hmm. And Judas hanged himself. Nah, that cannot be the spirit of God. They do it again. Lord, prove yourself. If this is really from you, you know, let me know. And they just keep turning and turning and they go to another verse. Okay, this is where the spirit is leading me. And they say, that which you have to do, do quickly. Ah, Omar. Huh, okay, okay. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, everyone is established. Lord, speak to me. <laughs> and then they open again. And he who has yes, let him hear <laughs> what the spirit is saying, you know, or something like that. And what ends up happening is people have this wrong approach to Bible study that is very, very, very destru destructive. All right, we're going to look at a bunch of verses that have been misinterpreted for so many years. And if we follow these principles, we should be able to interpret correctly. But like I said, anyone with a question so far, clarifying question, addendum, addition, thoughts, going once, going twice, anything on Mixlr? Can you give me some feedback? I want to know that you guys are following, please. Following, boring. If it's boring, then I'm doing a good job. It means that I'm, <laughs> I'm taking you through deep, um, deep teachings, like um, theoretical teachings, which I feel everyone should be able to go through. All right. Well, no feedback. I believe we're, we're all together. All right. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to... Sorry, I just have one. Uh -huh. So I wanted to ask, like, 
you know, sometimes when you tell people like that scripture you spoke about, which was like in 24, 25, how... Don't you Jesus... need to in the background? Is that from you? Because it's making me hear you well. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, you know, sometimes they're always saying things like um, when you're trying to explain to people, you know, how to like read the Bible because it's the most important one. And then you take them to that scripture that said, you know, Jesus explained things concerning himself and their wisdom means. Like people now ask, like, do you think Jesus really has that time to be studying and be teaching people or, you know, like, you know, things like that. So, like, I know it's right, but if someone has a question, like, did that really happen? You know, what would you tell I'll just take them to that to this, the same scripture. The Bible talks about how it was a seven mile journey from, um, you know, um, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, right? It was in that verse, seven mile journey, and then the Bible tells us that when it was almost evening, so he started the journey in the morning. Jesus taught them from morning to evening. What we have here on the um, Bible marathon is one hour thirty minutes. In your church service, you probably spend maximum two hours. That's not compared to anything that Jesus did with the disciples. In fact, by the way, Jesus taught his disciples 40 days after his resurrection. Did you know that? 40 good days of Bible teaching. <laughs> and then Paul had several cases where he was teaching night and day for three years straight. So we are very, very, very lazy in our generation when it comes to Bible study. Like I've met people who say, ah, your church service is like two hours. What are people doing? I'm like, ah, it could have, it should have been more, but we're just very kind. <laughs> we're kind. We respect your time. But honestly, think about it. People were always in the, in, in the gathering of saints, learning from the scriptures, because it takes diligence to study the scriptures. And Jesus proved it by walking all the way with these people, teaching them from the scriptures about himself. All right. So I hope that answers the question. Just take them back to the text. Like, oh, look at, it was morning when they left, it became evening, and it was seven miles, seven miles walking. How many of you have trekked seven miles before? That would be like, how many kilometers? Roughly nine kilometers. It's long ago, please. So, um, yeah, let's get back. Any other questions? All right, we'll proceed. So, let's now look at some very, very you know, crucial aspects of Bible interpretation. I've done a teaching like this before in the past, um, and it will be a good idea to go back and look into it um, because it will really bless you. So many teachings, that it is written, you know, um, but I'll, I'll probably look into all those by the end. Um, let's go to... Let's 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 go to hindrances to Bible interpretation. So number one would be language. I already spoke about language. Let me stop sharing my screen for a while. All right. So we already spoke about language. Language has been a very important and really, really is a huge barrier in Bible interpretation, right? First of all, English is not the language of the Bible. It was written in Hebrew, the Old Testament. And then the Greek um, New Testament, there's also some portions of the New Testament in Aramaic, which was the language Jesus spoke. All right. So we have Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. English is nowhere to be found in the original text. 
So what you already have right there is a hindrance to understanding because just like we have in our language, in English language, we have special ways we communicate ideas, right? Idiomatic expressions. What else do we have? Slangs, right? In English. They had their own grammatical structure in Hebrew. Same um, things like that in Greek, all right? Same thing goes with figures of speech, metaphors. They had all those things. So when you read the Bible, you need to understand that, hey, what I have is a transliteration of a translation or a translation of a transliteration. I hope I didn't lose you there. NIV is copied from many manuscripts in their original language. So the Old Testament, they found the Hebrew manuscripts, then they copied, basically translated it to English language, and then used, there were a lot of scholarly endeavors to get it into English form that you have. KJV is the same, you know. And there are other translations that have come over time, like the Message, TLB, which these ones are more like trans, um, paraphrased versions. Like, okay, this is what we understand it means. How can we write it in everyday everyday language that the random 21st century person will understand. So they translate it that way. So that's why we have a lot of translations. So you get this a lot, right, from people who are attacking the faith. They'll come to you and say, oh, you're a Christian. All of you, you have, say how many versions that you have, say how many denominations you have. How do you know that you people are, you know, you, don't, you can't even get your act together. You all have different books, you know. Have you had that objection before? And you need to realize that we all, all denominations, if you're a Christian, if you're in the Christian uh, faith, if you're in the Christian faith, you need to realize something. We all agree on the fundamentals. Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the grave, all right? And it is by grace through faith that we are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. These are fundamental teachings of the church. So whether in your own church, you people like to tie scarf, or in another church, you like to do use musical instruments to do praise and worship, or in another church, you know, you remove your shoes and you wear white garments. As long as the foundational teaching of the resurrection of Christ is there, then it's a Christian church. I know a lot of people will come and attack me, but the truth is, that's, I mean, that's what we see. People are people. Jesus respected diversity. Jesus respected ethnic, ethnic differences, cultures. We don't want to fuse the faith with culture and make something called, there's, there's a name for it, um, syncretism, where we mix tradition with the Christian faith. We don't want to do that. But Christianity can work with every tradition. It can work with every um, cultural system. So an American can believe the gospel. A Nigerian can believe the gospel because that's what is the central message, right? The rich can, the poor can. So I said all of that to make a point very clear. When it comes to different translations, the same goes, right? We don't have many Bibles or different types of Bibles. No, we have one scripture, all right, from the original manuscripts passed down to us in different forms, different writing styles, 
All right. So NIV, have you noticed when someone is reading from the NIV, you, you can hold your NKJV and you are still following because the thoughts is what counts. It's the communication that is really important. All right. So when it comes to the word of God, it's not the individual words that have power. Words in themselves don't have power. It is the meaning that they communicate that have power. Do you understand? I can tell Zoe now. Zoe, God is good. Say amen, it's true. God is really good, right? I can say it in many ways. I can say he's a good God. It doesn't change the meaning of what I said, even though the structure is different. So that's what you need to pay attention to when it comes to Bible interpretation. So language can be a barrier. Sometimes you might see a metaphor and the metaphor means something, you know, different. But you have to pay attention to these things. I don't have enough time to go into those details now because i've done that in previous teachings all right but that's one hindrance another hindrance believe it or not this will shock some of you chapters and verses <laughs> many people think that chapters and verses in the bible are inspired by god but they are not they were added a few centuries back so someone said how can we organize these things that have been written and they just said, okay, let's put verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. Let's split it here and put chapter 7. <laughs> so that's why sometimes, let me, show, let me show you an example. Because I feel like I can give you some examples. This is the one I was wondering. Like, how did they miss this one? Acts chapter 7. This was when, um, you know, Stephen was being stoned. Let's read from verse um. Acts 7, let's go to the end where he was looking up and, okay, look at this. Acts 7, 59. Pay attention to this. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8 from verse 1. And Saul was there. Why didn't you just allow it to be part of the previous chapter uh, the previous chapter because this is a continuity continuing thought like okay just let me show you everything together so you get it i've always been wondering that did they make a mistake here it never allowed me to show both at the same time this app okay but yeah he fell asleep look at verse 8 then chapter 8 from verse 1 and Saul was there giving approval to his death on that day great persecution so and Saul was there giving approval to his death should have been a part of verse 60. But they probably thought it's already long. Let's cut it. So some people might be reading the Bible and say, okay, today I'm only reading Acts 7. And then when you get to that place, Acts 7, 60, you stop. But there's a continuing thought. Because the second part of it, which is, and Saul was there, giving approval to his death, is also part of the thoughts. The new thought starts on the next sentence. On that day. Who gets what I'm saying? So verse, chapters and verses are not a spiritual thing that God puts there. So when you hear people, you know, preaching and they say, oh, the Bible says in Nahum 7-7, seven, seven. oh, today is the seventh day of the seventh month. You have to give $77. You already know that they have used you to do <laughs> Bobo because they, it was not inspired. It was someone who said, let's split these things. It's easier for reference. And I thank God, you know, that we have it. It helps. That's why we can say things like John 3.16. If not, I, see, let me tell you, I wish I could bring the, my, the Bible I used to study. But it's in my room. It's 
a Bible without chapters and verses. I actually looked out for it. NIV, no chapters, no verses. Just give me the book. Because what that does is it helps you read like a novel. You read it, you get the story, you get the gist. A lot of people have issues understanding the scriptures because they don't read the context. How many of you grab a novel to read and you just go to the middle and you start reading? But that's what we do with the Bible. The Bible is 66 books, different books. So when you want to read, it's a good practice to read the book. Because the meaning is the most important thing. You want to get the flow of thought of the writer. You want to get the gist before you come to a conclusion. Because your interpretation must start first from what the author intended before it becomes, how can I apply it? Man, I have so much to say, but there's no time. The final thing I will say, there's a lot more hindrances, but the last thing I will say is mental models. And we're going to look at some examples of mental models. I'll do that together with Treasure in this segment. But um, how, how many of if you've gained anything so far? Let me see. Just either raise your hand, type in the comment section. If this has been helpful so far, we're about to see some things now. And I want, to, I want you to engage together with me with your mind, keep it alert. I'm going to be asking you some questions. So let's get ready. Now, the last point is mental models. Mental models are those structures that we create. You know, oh, by the way, I just realized I was not sharing my the screen for the scriptures. Nobody told me anything. I feel like most of you are just sleeping somewhere. <laughs> All right. Let's let's um what's showing on the screen now? Who can verify what's showing on the screen? Is it what it means? Yeah. Okay. Is that what you see on the screen? Yes. Ooh. Okay. How about now? Do the same. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Aya. Please, I hope you guys are not sleeping. You no. Know. Please, if you're awake, let me know you're awake. All right. We're about to we're about to get to the the part where I really need you guys to participate. We only have like about roughly less than thirty minutes to go. All right. So mental models will be the last point. A lot of people have experienced a lot of false doctrine and erroneous teaching. And you can't even distinguish between what is true and what is false. So even when you hear true doctrine today, because you already have mental models created in your mind, it just holds you back from correctly interpreting scripture. I will show you some examples. Um, but you need to realize that fundamentally, do you know that the first sin of mankind was a sin of false doctrine? The devil came and said, God did not say this. Oh, is that what God said? You should not eat of the tree of, of this tree. Is that what God really said? Did God really say? And then the first then he said, No, no, you shall not surely die. That's false doctrine. That's saying something that God did not say, or twisting God's word. And that's one thing the devil does. So if you don't want to be a partner with the devil in confusing people or taking people away from the truth. Please stay away from misinterpreting scripture. 
in Matthew 4, Luke 4, temptation of Jesus, the same thing happened, right? He says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, turn stone to bread, right? He says, bow down before me, he tells him all these things. He quoted scripture. He said, as it is written, as it is written. <laughs> so the devil quoted scripture. Jesus quoted scripture back. But the main point you need to get from here is, it's not about the quoting of the scriptures. It's about the meaning behind it. Is it the context? Are you quoting it correctly? So let's look at a few verses. All right. And these are popular verses. So I'll start with, I'll start with one of the most popular ones. And um, if treasure has some, we'll just look at some of those. So, um, who can tell me what this text means? Joel chapter 3 from verse 10. Many of us have used this scripture before. Um, yeah. So, who can tell me? One second. All right, do we see the screen? Joel chapter 3 from verse 10. Joel chapter 3 from verse 10. It says, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say I'm strong. In fact, I'm making it easy for you. Let me go to KJV. Because KJV is where everybody used to get their verses. Have you noticed? They'll be like, no, read it in the KJV. Oh, wait. You people are still seeing... Sorry, are you seeing the right scripture now? That's why I need feedback because I'm doing so many things at once. So it's very difficult for me to, to track what you guys are seeing. But, but Joel chapter 3 from verse 10. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say I'm strong. You know, and I love Don Mon so much. He's one of the most amazing gospel singers. Um, and this is one of the lines in the song, right? Let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done. Right? For us, give thanks. The song is very beautiful. Give thanks. But then the usage of this text, is it really true? Like, is this what the Christian should say? Let the weak say I am strong. Because this is where we got this that text from. So let's do some findings together. All right? Just to save time. Let's do some findings. This is the first rule of Bible interpretation. And every member of Bible Marathon or visiting guests today, please, this is very important. When you see a verse, always find out what comes before it and what comes after it. Don't take it in isolation. In fact, to show you how bad this is, this is Joel 310B. <laughs> so when you hear someone say, just B, don't read the old verse, just the B part. You know that something is up. All right. But what do you guys think? Let's go back and see how the story started. So what do we do? We go to verse 1, right? As good Bible students, Joel chapter 3 from verse 1. And I think to make it easier, let's read from the NIV. All right. So I'll read it really fast. And you tell me what's going on here. In those days and at that time, when I restored the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, 
I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people, Israel. So who is talking? God, my people, Israel, right? For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. That's a very, very sad thing. So if you are hearing things like pedophilia and um, all of those things today, it didn't start today. It has been happening since, since forever. They sold girls for wine that they may drink. Now, what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon? All you regions of Philistia, are you repaying me for something I've done? If you're paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return your own heads to what you've done. He said, for you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasure to your temples. Remember verse 6 now. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. Let's establish something. Who is talking and to whom? Feedback, guys. Who is talking and who is the audience? So we've established God is talking, right? Yeah. God said, I will restore. Who, who just spoke? Someone. Oh, yeah, good. I don't see you here, but I see you now. Yeah, so God is speaking to whom? Who is he speaking to? I think the people that attacked Israel. Good. Verse 4, right? Tyre and Sidon. Philistia, yeah. people again. So if you, this is how to read the Bible. Ask questions. Who is talking? What's happening? Don't just read it and feel spiritual. That's why most people don't grow. They just read the Bible. They are not studying. You you put more devotion to your to your chemistry textbook than you do the Bible. You expect to know what it's saying. It's a book, so you must read it. All right. So look at verse um, six. You told the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them from far to their homeland. Now, God says, see, I'm going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them. I will return on your own heads what you have done. So God is saying, what you did to my people, I'll do back to you. I will sell your sons and daughters and the people of Judah and they will sell them to the Sabians, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. You see, so it's still the Lord speaking. That's another proof. Verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. So he's telling them, all of the people, come. You know how you can be like, you know, for those of you who are sports, um, you love football here. You know how you be like, you know, bring Chelsea on. You know, fits, that kind of thing. Like, bring them on. Let them let them attack us. Let them come. That's kind of like the idea here. We see sarcasm already here. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. He says, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakly say I'm strong. So God is talking to the people, the enemies. He said, don't worry. I, I know my, I'm going to rouse my people. He said it at the beginning. I'm going to look at verse 7. I'm going to rouse them out of the places which you sold them. And I will return on your own heads what you have done. And then he says, come, all you nations from every side, and assemble here. Bring your warriors. Look at this verse 10. 
Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. In other words, this is sarcasm. God is saying, you people, you've taken my people of Israel captive. But I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you devastatingly what dealing with my own people will do to you. And so he says, come on, bring it on. Let the weak, the weakest among you, let them say I'm strong. Let them sharpen all their swords. Let them come. So that's really what's going on here. You can't come here and take this text and say the Christian should say um, that this is this is God's word to a Christian saying, let the weak say I'm strong. Now, someone will come emotionally at me now and say, Ernest, are you saying that the weak should not say they are strong? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's not what this text is saying. Can we agree on that together? All right. This is important. I want to show you one more. Um, and there's a lot more that I won't bring it to context if you keep going on to read. But when you read the prophets, be very, very attentive. Let me read this one that is very popular. Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 4. Let me see. Does anyone have any question? If I, I don't want to rush too quickly through this. But the point I'm making is, please interpret scripture correctly. Carry the context together. Carry, read from the beginning. Go to the end. Find out what is happening. Pay attention to figures of speech. Pay attention to language. All right, let me go show you the one in Revelation. Because this one, this is another one you use in, you hear in church. And this is the problem. We just take things and we don't test them. We don't ask questions. All right. This verse, Revelation 12, 11. Revelation 12, 11. Let me go to the King James. Because that's where everything always starts from. That's why when I study, I try to avoid King James a lot. Not because there's anything wrong with it. But if I'm reading for the sake of understanding, I don't like to deceive myself. Let it be the language I understand. <laughs> All right. So, hi, Victoria. Good to see your face. All right. So, let's read this. I know it's already late. We're almost done, guys. Um, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Who can tell me what this, what this is about? What is this text saying? Is this text saying, when you come forward to share your testimonies, that's how you overcome the devil? Is that what this text is saying? I mean, we've, we've used a lot of cliche statements in the church, and we don't even ask questions, and I don't want us to be like that. So who can tell me what this is referring to? $10. Anybody who gets this? $10, let's go. You know, Naira is much now. It's referring to evangelism. Okay. How? Um, okay. I wanted to try. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I still have one more text. We don't have enough time to go into detail, but go ahead. Let me hear you out. Um. All right, so I think 
if we are reading in context, right, we will like go to the verse before it and try to see what he was explaining, right? And to me, I think he was talking more about like, you know, the um necessarily not like you know the way people can use this and say, oh um, you know, the devil is like pursuing me so but they'll not say things like overcame the might I think it's really speaking about like the gospel. Because eleven says and then it and and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and the word of testimony on the, um and the word of their testimony and like how do we know like um we've like defeated like the enemy you know like by like the gospel understanding that Christ actually came to over, overcome so I think it was speaking more about like what Christ came to do right about him dying and because of his death we have authority because he resurrected and we are able to have what um everything that he was able to overcome and also because he was able to like resurrect we know that we have that life because we believe so we've overcome by um what christ did on the cross and i think it's finished works i think so. yeah um Keywords. Let me show you some text. So when you and this is, you know, I'm I'm just throwing a lot of things now because I feel like um, if you are taking notes, please do. This point is very important. Always have corroboration from scriptures. Scripture interprets scripture. All right. So let's look at some um, verses that match up or look that have the same word in Revelation twelve eleven. You know that's why I said language is a barrier because. When we say testimony today, what we think about is sharing testimony at this stage in church. That's a different meaning from the word of their testimony in this verse. How do I know? Jesus used it a whole lot. But let's look at John because John wrote the book of Revelation. So let's look at his own epistles. First John chapter 5, verse 19. How did you use uh, So not 5.99, sorry, verse 9. He calls it witness. In, K- in uh, the NIV, it's used, it's called testimony. It's the same word in the Greek, witness. If we receive the witness of man or of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he had testified of his son. So testimony is a witness. It's a statement of fact. Let me give you another example here. Third John, all right, that has just one chapter. Third John from verse 12. Uh, the, I think if you read it in the NKJV or the KJV, you see the same language. It says, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness. And you know that our testimony is true. So in other words, and this is a legal term, right? If you're brought up as a witness, the witness stand in a courtroom, you're supposed to give what? Testimony. Basically to recount or to say what is true. So that's the same idea communicated here. Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him. Who is the him? If you go back, the great dragon is who was overcome in verse 9. All right. 
And then verse 10 talked talk about salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. That's the message. So everyone is right for saying the gospel, right? For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night have been cast down or has been cast down. So this is what's going to happen to the enemy. But how would it happen? It will happen because the faithful will stand firm in their confession. That's what it says here. And they overcame him. Who overcame who? The believers. But in context, would it would be the martyrs, those ones who gave their lives for the cause of the gospel. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That's talking about his salvific work. And the word of their testimony. If you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and you confess with your mouth, that's testimony. He said they did not love their lives to the death. So this is not talking about sharing testimony in church and how your testimony will give blow to the devil. Rather, it's talking about the testimony of a believer having faith in Christ and standing on that faith, even to death. That is how we defeat the devil. So it's ironic, it's ironical that, or it's ironical that the, the way we defeat the enemy is through death. Jesus defeated the power of death through his death. Man, I could teach on that all day. But yeah, that's another text. There's so many. Uh, Treasure, do you have any that we can look into? Or does anyone here have a text that you're like, oh, I don't, I'm not sure what this text means, but what NS is saying now is making me cautious. So NS, what do you think this text means? Does anyone have something like that they want to share real quick? We just have like four minutes to go. I have one more text. So if anyone doesn't have um, anything, I can go there. Um. Yeah. You have one. I don't know if it, yeah. Okay. So there's one that people I know that is very very um like people use it a lot. And maybe I don't know if anybody here wants to know the answer. But um, I think it's in Malika. My Malika that speaks about like the devourer would devour you. You know, for yeah. your okay. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's go there real quick. But this marathon, Bible marathon, let's run. <laughs> Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. By the way, first thing to note: what is a storehouse? It's a barn, a silo, right? A silo. If you did agricultural science, you know what the storehouse is. What do you put in storehouses? Grains, food. Mm-hmm. If I says that there may be food, all right? So let's never waste more time. So I've, I know I've done a teaching on tithing, but we'll, we'll do that some other time again, just because we, we regularly have new people. The tithe was always food and drink. It was things that people could eat. So crops, um, food, food resources, food materials for the priests, because they didn't work, so they had to be fed. So God was angry with the Jews. That's the context of Malachi. Uh, chapter 3. The Jews were the ones who were given the law of tithing all right, by Moses. But they were no longer given to the priests. And so God was angry. He said, you have robbed me. You have robbed me from my temple. What I need, what my people, my priests need to function in their priesthood. You know, their everyday living was meant to come from you. But you guys are you're not bringing the tithes to the storehouse. So he says, you know, bring it to the storehouse. Let there be food. Try me now. Uh, if I will not open the heavens for you. When he says, if I will not open the windows, open for you the windows of heaven, what do you think um, the windows of heaven is? 
It's an idiomatic expression. It's a metaphorical expression for rain. I wish I could go through a lot of texts in the Old Testament to show you and prove this. Yeah, Victoria, awesome. It's rain. Rain pouring from heaven is what he meant here. Have you noticed? Open the floodgates in abundance and cause your rain to follow me. Where do you think they got that from? It's, a, it's an Old Testament scripture as well that refers to the rain being the windows of heaven being opened. In fact, there's a reference in, in when the rain, God was punishing um, the people and was wiping out the earth with rain, with, um, rain right? Noah's time. What did the Bible say about the rain stopping? So the heavens were shut. So that is why you need to read the Bible correctly or else you miss all these things. All right. And it says, if I will not open the, um, for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be not enough room to receive. What's the blessing? More crops. Like you are holding back what you have. You're not giving it to these people who are in need. You know, and then it says the canker worm, the devourer. Basically, I will rebuke the devourer. Who is the devourer? It's not the devil. Crops were eaten by locusts. And there were pests. There were things that were coming against their livelihoods too. So God was saying, if you bring the tithes to take care of the priests and all the people of the temple, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. So that he will not destroy what? The fruit of your ground. Are you seeing the connection? Fruit of your ground is your crops, your plants. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit. So many times we try to be allegorical where the Bible is clear. And we try to be simplistic when the Bible is allegorical. And that's where we make the mistake. There's no much, there's no not enough time to go on, but I hope you've learned some things today. Um for the during the course of the week, I would love you guys to think up of think about scriptures all right that's what i want us to do for the rest of this week even while we're still doing our um, individual bible studies in our groups all right i hope you are reading second corinthians every week if you don't have an accountability group please reach out to me um but it's really good that you can practice these things you learn from your own bible study when you read the bible you should have questions don't just read it casually bible study is hard work all right. And you need to prove, make your, prove yourself. You need to uh, be a workman that is approved of God. Right. Super important. Um, exactly. Other versions even say pests. So I wonder when the enemy. So you see, when you make a word spiritual, devora, and you just, you know, attach anything to it, you can, you can see, you can teach anything with the Bible. The only problem is what you might be teaching might not be true. NS2021. <laughs> but basically, that's the truth. Um, so let's be more diligent. Remember, this is all about a God that is worthy of worship. This is not because we just want to do something scholarly. God is deserving of our worship. God is deserving of our discipline, of our hard labor in the place of studying God's word. So when it comes to interpreting scripture, please um, find a good teacher. A Bible teacher, if you don't have one, get one. Go to a church where they teach the, the gospel. All right. Have friends that study. Be like, you know, be in a, a community like this where we do stuff like this. Um, and we study the scriptures together so that you grow. God's desire is that you grow and experience joy in your faith. That's his desire. All right. Um, so yeah, this week, 
you know, if you have any questions on any text, you can just throw it to the group chat. Hey, I was reading this and I wasn't sure what this means. Can anyone help? And um, any of us who is available, any of the admins will be able to help you out with that. All right, so we've come to the end of this session. Uh, thank you guys for staying till the very end. I know a lot of people had so much to do. Like I, like I said earlier, so many people texted me today, like, Ernest, I'm so sorry, I will not be able to make it. I think it's, it's the first Sunday of the month. A lot happens, so I, 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 I get that perfectly. All right, so next week, I want to show you the flyer. One second, people. Um, but next week, we're having a very, very special guest. Um, as you know, I always bring people who are amazing to this um, platform to talk to us, to bless us with the word of God. And we're having, who can tell me what next Sunday is? Like what Sunday is next Sunday in Bible Marathon? Who knows? Silence. This is Hermeneutics Sunday. What's next Sunday? By the way, Hermeneutics means um, Bible interpretation. All right. So, hello. Nobody's talking. Charismatic. Eh? Ah. <laughs> ah, my, my chest. My twist. Wow. Everybody's missing it though. It's apologetic Sunday. I said it's not. I said apologetic. You you said you said charisma the first time. No, I no, I was not the first person that said it. I was oh, oh, okay. It. Sorry, that's some all right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Please. Right. Yeah, apologetic Sunday. And we're having a special guest, a very dear friend of mine. I love her so much. And um she's doing amazing things on social media, especially when it comes to apologetics. Her name is Fee. Um, so she's gonna be here. And um, she's basically also coming with her own community that she teaches. So we're going to have an amazing time. Uh, the theme is Apologia. Sorry, I'm busy. I'm trying to download the flyer. That's why I'm trying to stall here. But um, the theme is Apologia. It's next week Sunday, same time. All right. Um, and the focus is really just how do we defend our faith? This message of the gospel that we have, to be honest, is very hard. To, to, to communicate to people if people are not receptive sometimes it's just uh you know inherent fear and most of the things i hear from people is i don't know what to say right so what if we gave you the abcs of defending your faith would that make a difference i believe it's strongly that it will so that's why we are going to almost here Copy. Let's go. All right. I think we can change the slide now. Hey. No. Yeah. Yay. <sighs> Multitasking is not easy. But yeah, so we are having um, Apologia. Can you see the screen? Yes, you can. Okay. Mm -hmm. Apologia with me. All right, so she's going to come bless us and we're going to learn a whole lot, so come prepared, all right? So um, if you notice, I've, I've recently not been putting up Second Corinthians, um, the chapters I was supposed to read because there's a backlog, I know. A lot of people are still trying to, like, you know, finish up previous chapters, and I think it's good. I don't want to rush anyone. 
But by now, we should be rounding up 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 for this week. So let me just put that. We're reading 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. All right. Um, so that's really it for me. Um, look out for Thursday. We're going to have our normal um, pin, uh, pit stop sessions where we discuss you know, events around the world and what's happening and just really Christian perspective to those issues. All right. If you're not in our WhatsApp group and you want to be a part of our WhatsApp group, um, I don't have the link here. I don't know if anyone can share the link on the chat for me. But yeah, if you want to be a part of the WhatsApp group, you can contact me directly or um, the link might be posted on the chat for you guys. But that's it from me today. Um, I want to pray us out and then you guys will have an amazing week ahead. All right. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we worship you because you are good. You are God. You are faithful to the end. We can trust you. We can rely on you. We can put our full confidence and hope in you. Um, thank you for teaching us how the word should be handled. Thank you for you know, giving us a higher sense of understanding that the scriptures are the inspired word of God and we should be disciplined in our interpretation. Just like Jesus took time to teach from the scriptures, Lord, help us to interpret correctly. Help us to see Christ even as he sees us in him. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us to be strong, resolute Christians, standing firm in righteousness, holiness, in godliness. And help us, Lord, to bring glory to your name. You know that we do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys so much. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon project, visit our website bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in your faith.